Jenny, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing really well. Yeah, thank you. It's a busy time of the year. It's spring now, so yep, the real estate market really seems to hot up and everyone seems to be in a mad hurry to buy a house before Christmas, so yeah. Cool. I appreciate you coming in today. So, uh, guys, the, the goal of today is to give you our thoughts on one of the biggest problems that uh, that, that our clients face, which is uh, when you're trying to move and you already own a house, should you buy first or sell first? And how do you manage that process? If you've already got one big mortgage to look after, how do you how do you tackle moving to another home? Um, this is one that comes up all the time. You know, we deal with uh, a lot of clients who are either uh, owning their first home right now and trying to move to a bigger house, or maybe they already own that, that big house uh, and they're trying to downsize. Um, when you have a hot market, like we've had for quite some time, it's really competitive when you're making offers. Uh, and so what people often discover is that, you know, they, they go out to buy this second home and they go and put offers on uh, naturally that are subject to the sale of their existing property. And they find time and time again that those offers just don't go anywhere. The market's too competitive to get anywhere with that sort of that sort of a condition holding you back. Would you agree, Jenny? Oh, definitely. And many, many years ago, they used to say if you were going to offer subject to house sale, you had to offer so much more money because your offer did look um, less attractive. But I think even now, no matter what the money would be potentially, a subject to house sale is going to look nowhere near attractive as somebody who's not subject to selling a house. And you might ask why that is, but if you if you put yourself in the shoes of an owner selling, you know, say a three-bedroom house in Johnsonville, if you're looking at a series of offers and one of them is cash, unconditional, money's there straight away, and the higher offer is subject to the sale of a property, um, you've got to think, right, okay, I'm going to take this higher offer, but I don't know if this house is going to sell. They might change their mind and pull out. What's the dollar premium you're looking for to take that risk? And for most owners, they'll take an offer that's 20, 30, 40 grand lower. I've heard of 50, 60, 70 grand lower just because it's unconditional. Mm -hmm. So um, the risk is if you do go and make offers subject to sale of your own home, if you get that offer accepted, there's a good chance you've probably paid a big, big premium. Um, or you're buying a house which no one else offered on, which which could be a cause for, <laughs> for concern yeah. anyway. Um, so when you own your own home already and you're trying to move, you have essentially uh, these options. You can A, um, offer subject to sale, um, but that can be a pretty draining process because you make offer after offer and they don't go anywhere. Um, the other option you can look at is to secure bridging finance. And so we've asked Jenny to come in and talk to you about how that works. So a lot of you might have heard this term, but you don't maybe necessarily um, you know, know exactly what's involved. Uh, it's something that you sort of don't really need to know about until you need it. Um, yeah, exactly. Jenny, what's bridging finance? And uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Okay. So with bridging finance, there's two, these two kind of uh, types of bridging finance. So there's what we call a, a closed bridge where you have actually made an offer on a house and your sediment data say the 20th of October 
but your the sale of your house is sold unconditionally, but the settlement date on that is the 30th of October. So there's 10 days where you own two properties. And banks are normally quite happy to lend on those bridging situations because they know you've got that unconditional sale and it's only like a 10-day window that you're going to have to carry the bridging finance. And it's interesting, some people do that when they are moving homes to give them a bit of time, that some people will have a couple of days overlay just to give themselves a bit of time to move out the house, clean the next one, do sometimes somebody might want to put a new carpet or sometimes people like a bit of an overlay. Um, although, it, to be honest, it's probably not the norm. Okay. Most people would buy and sell um, on the same day. But the other type of bridging finance is what we call an open bridge. And the reason why we call it open is because you haven't got an unconditional sale on your existing home. So <clears throat> So you've you've your own home isn't even on the market at all. No. You've found your ideal home, you want to make an offer on it. Yes. You need to know will the bank yes. let you buy two houses and exactly. own two houses exactly. at once, sorry. Own two houses at once. And so what, what we're actually asking for in the open bridge is the bank being comfortable with the fact that you will owe as debt the full purchase price of that new property as well as what existing mortgage you might have remaining. And that's quite a significant sum of money, especially if, you know when, when you're trading up houses. So... A few of the banks are quite open to this open bridge where it's it's difficult for a client to actually be able to meet the bank's income servicing test to service that entire debt. Uh, however, if they've got funds available, some savings that they can show that they can meet the mortgage payments over a three to six month period, then the banks have been happy to approve based on that. But most people, and just to, sorry to get in, most people who get bridging finance approved often don't end up using it as well. Isn't that That's right? right. Yeah. Yes, you're so. exactly right, because a lot of them sell um, and are able then to settle on the same day so they don't need it. But yeah. they certainly, you certainly need that approval in place if you're wanting to make an offer that isn't subject to selling your house, because you can't just wing it and yeah. go, yeah, the market's hot, I'll be sweet, the house will sell. A pretty person. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, anything can happen in our world. Like, anything that could mean that your your house doesn't sell. So, I've had, in the last month, I've had four situations of bridging approved. Um, the open bridge. And uh, in three of the approvals... What the bank has wanted to know is that prior to the settlement on your new house, that you've actually listed your house for sale. So they want to know that this is definitely the intention, and then so we that's just That's got to be a short-term thing. Yeah, that's right. So it, that hasn't had to be provided prior to them making the offer, but it does need to be provided prior to the, the bank advancing the funds. Have you had many clients uh, who have been surprised that they were able to get bridging finance approved? Uh, not really. I, I think that most of them kind of are, are 
know that, that they've got good equity, they've got savings in the bank to be able to cover the mortgage payments. So they do feel in a pretty strong position. Do people ever come to you having tried making an offer subject to sale and then they you work on getting bridging no, finance proofs? Or is it no. people who are more sort of, right, I know this is what I'm Yeah, doing. I think most people are, I know this is what I need to do. Yeah. And so that's the approach that they kind of take. Um, but I should have prefaced this at the start. Of course, all bridging for any kind of finance is all subject to the bank's approval and subject to their terms and conditions. And also, too, it is um, it's obviously case by case depending on each person's um, situation. So it's certainly not a guarantee that if you've got good equity and savings in the bank that it's going to happen. There's, you know, there's a full application process that needs to go through. But, you know, if it's something that, if you think that uh, having a house to sell is holding you back making that next step, then just give me a call and I can run through things and tell you whether it's going to be a potential um, or not. Is it... uh are there any pitfalls to watch out for, or, or um, well, I think things uh, to avoid? Or? Well, I was just thinking there one of the one of the I think the pitfalls to um, come up against would be if you actually had to settle and had the bridging finance for some time, how much money you'd be paying. And there was um, one client who um, I said to them for every for every week that your house hasn't sold and you haven't settled. Um, that's a thousand dollars in bridging finance. A thousand dollars a week. That's a lot of money. What sort of interest rate do you You're paying the floating rate okay. for bridging finance. Yeah. And um, so that's just around that five percent at the moment. But yeah, if you can if you're happy, um, essentially well <laughs> it's not a very good term, but I think just burning money because essentially it is just interest. Um that you're paying for the privilege of being able to buy before you've actually um, sold. What one I see that would go with that is a lot of buyers and sellers don't seem to understand how common it is to have long settlements. So I'd suggest if you are going to go down that bridging option, try and get a even a three month settlement on the house you're buying. So that's three months until you'll need to use the bridging finance, which gives you three months to sort your own house out, get it ready to go on the market, choose an agent, put it on the market, run a two, three week process and then sell it and potentially even have the settlement dates aligned or at least be very close to each other to limit your exposure. But if you go out and buy your new house, have the bridging finance approved and then you have to settle in four weeks, it's really not a lot of time to get things together. So most... Uh, people buying think that oh I've got to offer a four to six week settlement to be competitive just ask the agent you're buying off because not every seller wants a quick settlement a lot of these people actually want a longer settlement um, some of the sellers could be in the same position that you're actually in so they might be grateful for a long settlement because they don't have to think about having to do any bridging they're happy like yeah, they can find. So basically, unless the property is empty, it's probably a good chance the seller's open to, I, yeah. I would suggest, yeah, yeah. Um, longer settlements. It's not uncommon to have three, four, even six months I've had from time to time. Mm. Which leads us into one more point on that on, on that front. So 
If you can't get bridging finance approved, what are you finding your clients are doing, Jenny? If they if they aren't able to get bridging finance, but they still have a house to sell, mm, they they be trying to buy with long settlements. Yeah, yeah. I, I've I get a lot of clients who will sell with a long settlement, so they'll they don't have a house to move to yet. They haven't found that dream house yet, but they know they need to be a cash buyer, so mm. they'll go on the market get the absolute best price they can for their own home. Sometimes they'll get surprised and end up having actually more money to spend, yeah. which can be helpful, but they'll sell with a three to four month settlement so that they've actually got a decent period of time to go out and find their next house. Um, can be scary selling when you don't have a place to move to yet, but at least that way you know how much you've got to spend You've ticked that box. You're not yes. you're not under any pressure to sell your own home. It's yeah. not like oh, if I you know if I don't sell this, it's costing me a grand a week with bridging yeah. finance. Yeah, yeah. You can really take your time, uh, and you're a cash buyer, which puts yeah. you in a far more far stronger negotiating position mm-hmm. when you're. When yeah, because interesting, I came across some clients just last week where they they could have gone bridging, and they were like, oh, we couldn't sleep at night if we had that. We just want to. We just want to sell, and then we'll know, and we'll feel, yeah. So I was like, oh, that's good. I don't need to have that conversation with you. They were dead adamant they were going to sell first, even that's though right. they, that we could have probably got bridging finance. Yeah. Sounds like a safe approach. Mm. And uh, uh, the clients who probably find that last option trickiest, you know, selling first with a long settlement, uh, people with with pets. Which yes. understandably can make it tricky. It's hard to go and rent somewhere if you haven't yeah. found a new home, you know, if you've got a dog, um, people with young children. Mm. Um, so so if you are, you know, in that situation, we feel for you. It's not an easy place to be, but do just uh, think if you were a cash buyer for three, four, five months uh, before you had to move, what would you rate your chances of finding a new house? Mm. You know, have you seen many over the last few months that you think would have suited you? If that's the case, then there's a good a good chance you'll be able to find something if you have, if you know how much you've got to spend and you've got essentially exactly. money available. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other option is timing. So uh, if you're in that boat, you'll see a lot more properties available for sale September, October, November, and, and February, March, April than you will in June, July. So if you're going down that selling first line um, to be a cash buyer, Try and sell at the start of the season. You know, sell late January, sell in August, September, so that you're a cash buyer when all the properties are yeah. coming on the market, and you'll have the most choice. Mm. And I think too, if you were going to go down the down the the path of, of bridging, what you'd want to make sure that you've done before you go out looking and have an offer accepted on a property is make sure that your house is pretty much ready for sale. You don't want to be like, oh gosh, we have to paint the outside before we sell it. Well, you kind of maybe should have done that before you had an offer accepted because those things will just take up more time and give you less time to market your property and then the higher likelihood of you needing that bridging finance will happen, I think. Yeah. That makes so much sense. That's mm. really good advice. Yeah. Guys, if you have questions about bridging finance, please don't hesitate to give Jenny a call. Her numbers will be in the, the details of this uh, podcast and, and ways that you can connect with her. If you have questions about that selling process and, and what the market's like in your area, give us a call um, and, and you can get hold of us through our website, which you're probably at now, um, or by email or phone as well. Uh, one other point I'd say is markets can change and, and if you're in a, a smaller town or a different part of the world, sometimes you can get offers accepted subject to sale of your own home. Uh, 
what we're seeing in the bigger centres is that that's hard, is that that's harder. Uh, but certainly in other parts of the country, it can be more common to have offers accepted subject to sale. Or if you're in a, if the market turns and shifts to a more of a buyer's market, then it can be possible to have those sort of deals accepted. So speak to a few agents in your area, ask them whether they have many offers accepted that are subject to sale of a property, whether that's very common at all, and you'll get a picture of, of how, uh, what sort of chances you'll have if you get on that. Go down that line. Go. And just to reiterate, obviously with any mortgage application, it's all subject to the bank's normal lending criteria and yeah, nothing is a guarantee, so but contact me and um, we can go through that, that process to try and obtain you an approval to do what you want to do. Definitely always speak to a lawyer before you make any, any big uh, property decisions. Thanks everyone for listening and uh, thank you so much Jenny for coming in. Oh, you're welcome. Always a pleasure. Right. Cheers. Cheers.